Have you been disgusted this week, a little bit last week, maybe the week before? As we started hearing all these reports about the different types of harassment that were taking place in Hollywood, California, and then in the world of politics, and some of those details began to filter out, and some of the things that, that people say happened to them, and the details of those stories, and, and how disgusting and despicable some of those behaviors and acts were and are. We hear those stories, and in our minds we say, well, that's, that's Hollywood. What would you expect? And of course, those types of disgusting things are allowed to go on. We look in politics, and of course, we don't say that's what we expect to go on, but that's kind of what we expect sometimes to go on. And we say, that's that world. But sometimes it's not just that world. Oftentimes, it's this world. It's the businesses that you work in. It's the industries where you have worked. It's people all around us that do those types of things. Maybe not to that extent. Maybe not with all the gory details that we've heard. But it's all around us. All of the time. Imagine that you are one of the men depicted. Or a man like that. And, and maybe you begin to have regrets and you begin to have doubts uh, about your behavior and, and you think to yourself, you know what, I really am the trash of the world. I really have taken this too far. I really have gone so far off the deep edge, there is no way I am coming back. I might as well just keep going. As these types of things were coming out throughout the last two or three weeks, and we heard them on the news, as I was traveling in the car, I heard someone make a comment on one of the radio stations, and the comment was in a different context, talking about the grace of God. And the person was making the comment, you can't go too far. You can't be so far gone that the grace of God can't reach you. And sometimes in our lives, even if it's not been the types of things we've been hearing out of Hollywood, but sometimes in our lives, we reach a point in our lives, we think, I am too far gone. I have done it too often. I've done it one too many times. God can't love me. God can't reach me. And the answer is, Yes, he can. And the question for us this week is, do we thank God for when he picks us back up? Do we thank God for the times that he wraps his arms around us and he says, I know you messed up one more time. I know you've been trying to get out of this. I know you've been struggling with this, but I do forgive you. Do we squeeze him back and say, 
Thank you. Have your Bibles with you this morning. Please be turning to Luke chapter 7. And as you turn to Luke chapter 7, I want us to think about thanking God for His forgiveness. Thanking God for His grace. <coughs> and as we <clears throat> think about thanking God, I want us this morning to think about two stories of responding to God's grace that we see in the New Testament. I want us to think about correct principles of thankful grace. And I want us to think about how we can show God our thankfulness as Christians today. Let's begin by looking at a couple different stories of responding to God's grace. The first one comes to us in Luke chapter 7. Now the context is that that Jesus has been doing many things. He's been traveling around. And, and as he does so, he's introduced to one of the members of the Pharisees. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Well, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wiped my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since I... Since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, woman, your sins are forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here we encounter the story of a man, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were both a religious sect and a political sect in Jerusalem and in Judea. They thought that they were so pure and that they had separated themselves from the Romans and from the pagans and they strove to do everything as perfectly as they could. 
The Sadducees, on the other hand, were of the priestly class, but they had kind of made themselves allies of the Romans. They weren't too concerned about separating themselves from society. They weren't too concerned about separating their, themselves from the Romans or the pagans. And so they were fine with intermingling with sin. But you see, the Pharisees, they thought, we've got to do everything we can to separate ourselves from sin. And so they went to great lengths, and they made rules that weren't even in Scripture. They made rules that weren't a part of Judaism just so that they would not get even, get even close to sinning. So here's this man, Simon. He's one of these Pharisees. And undoubtedly in his life, he had set up rules and boundaries to protect himself from sin. And oh, he had done a fine job. He'd done a great job. But not a perfect job. And as he's there with Jesus, he's there, perhaps he wants to be seen with this great teacher. He didn't think this was the Messiah, evidently. But he wanted to be seen with the great teacher. And he invites Jesus to come to his house. But as you and I read the text and we look at what Jesus says to him about what he has not done, we miss the social standards of that day. That when someone came into your house, you would greet them with a kiss on the cheek. You would have one of your servants go and wash their feet because they would find as they ate, and nobody likes stinky, dirty feet in their face as they eat. And so it was a, a common thing that you would have a servant in your house wash the feet of your guests. This man hadn't even provided that for Jesus. You would do things to make them comfortable in your home. This man had done none of the basic things. He was treating Jesus with contempt, or at least disregard, as Jesus is in his house. And yet here comes this woman. She's known as a sinner. We might guess what kind of sin she'd been known to participate in. The text here doesn't tell us for sure. But everyone in the town said, oh, it's that woman. Well, you know about her, don't you? I mean, have you been on her Facebook page? She's also. And so here she comes, and she is able to enter the man's house. Probably, as his guests were open, this was probably a man of great means and probably had a great courtyard, a, a tremendously large courtyard, and the gate was allowed to remain open, and, and she wanders in, and as she comes, she sits down, and she begins to cry. She's at Jesus' feet. And she spent a large sum of money to buy this alabaster of perfume. Put it at, at Jesus' feet. And the Pharisee and probably others there began to mock this woman. And so Jesus asked Simon a question. He said, Simon, you tell me, who is going to love more? And he gives them the parable of the, the money lender. It says, one guy owed him 50 days worth of wages and the other 500 days of wages. Forgives them both. Who do you think is going to love more? 
You see, the purpose of the story was for Simon, this Pharisee, to realize, yes, you've done a good job, but you still have sin in your life. But you take your forgiveness almost for granted. You have done such a great job of living a good life that, that when you think about your forgiveness, it's nothing to you. And here's this woman whose life is so full of sin and disgustingness and, and things that people don't even want to be around her. When they see her coming, they say, oh, there she is. She's the great sinner of the town. Wouldn't you love to have that reputation? Here's the great sinner of the town. And because she has been forgiven of so much, she can't stop crying. she's anointed my feet with perfume and dried them with her hair. She responded to grace and forgiveness because she realized how precious it was. But there's another story of grace in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing to the young evangelist Timothy, and he begins to talk about his own life and the reason why he does what he does. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul says, A trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When we back up into verse 12, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to know, I am the foremost of all sinners. You see, when we talk about the person who looks at their life and they think, you know what, my life is so far in the mud, so far in the dirt, I, I am so filthy for my sin, I, I can't get any worse, I can't be any worse. Paul says, that's me. That's where I was. And he says, the reason why is because I went around persecuting the church. I spoke against Christ. He didn't just say, I don't, I, I, I don't believe what you're selling, buddy. He took it two steps further by going and saying, that guy's talking to you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how ridiculous that is. And he took it two steps further than that by saying, you believe in that stuff? Come here. Take you to jail. 
And he took, took it two steps further than that by saying, not only am I going to take you to jail, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you lose your life for believing in this Jesus guy. And he did everything he could to persecute the church. And we know from the book of Acts that he went so far as to even take letters from the chief priest and the high priest in Jerusalem to take to other Jewish throughout the Mediterranean world so that he might drug up every Christian that he could find and bring them back so that they could lose their lives for believing in Jesus Christ. He considered himself a murderer. And yet Paul says, here was God's grace and forgiveness for me. That he would take me from being that person and make me someone who now proclaims the gospel. And he says he did it so that he could show the world what Jesus is able to do, what his patience is able to do, what his grace and love can accomplish. And Paul says, I thank God for that grace and that mercy. As we look at these two stories, isn't it ironic that Paul himself was a Pharisee, just like the first man? He acknowledged and realized the depth of his sin. And he responds to it. By saying, Timothy, the reason I preach this gospel, the reason I go from city to city, the reason I'm willing to go and stand before Jews who hate me, don't want anything to do with me, and I give them a chance to respond, is because of the grace that God has showed me himself. Two different stories of responding to grace and being thankful forgiveness. We've looked at these two stories, so now let's begin by thinking about some principles of responding to God's forgiveness with thankfulness. And think about what these principles mean. One of the principles that we need to understand is especially when it comes to God, forgiveness means not holding God is able to make a decision not to hold us accountable for the sins and mistakes that we've made in our lives. Even in a great way that we as men cannot understand. Turn over to the Old Testament book of Hosea. And as you turn to the book of Hosea, realize that the entire story, the book of Hosea, is a story about God's grace and relationship with a sinful nation. And it, it, so much of it is an analogy. As God, as God tells Hosea, I want you to go and marry uh, this woman who's a prostitute because that's what it's like being the God of Israel. But notice what he says. Hosea chapter 11. We'll start in verse 5. They, that is Israel, will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria will be their king. 
because they refuse to turn to me. The sword will whirl against their cities and will demolish their gate bars and consume them because of their counsels. So my people are bent on turning from me. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. How can I give you up? Oh, Ephraim, how can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is turned over within me. My compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar. His sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. In the midst of a great passage about God carrying out judgment against Israel and Judah, he says they're going to be carried off. There's going to be consequences for their sin. But I love them too much to completely destroy them. They deserve to be completely destroyed. If we backed up and read all of chapter 11, we would see how much God has done for them. And yet they continue to prostitute themselves to other gods in other countries. And yet, in the midst of all that, he says, I am God and not man. In other words, I can forgive where men can't. Ladies, I want you to think. Gentlemen, I want you to think. If your spouse was unfaithful to the extent that was unfaithful. How easy would it be for you to say, I'm going to take you back. God says, I'm not man. I can do it. And he tells a sinful nation, look, you're going to have some consequences for your sin, but eventually you're going to turn back to me. And when you do, I'm going to rebuild your cities and rebuild your houses and restore the relationship. God is able to give us a level of forgiveness that we can't comprehend. He tells us in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34, I will forgive your sins and remember your inequities no more. A double promise. I'm going to forgive them. I'm not even going to remember them. Folks, you and I can't forget our own sins. Oftentimes we beat ourselves up constantly for things in our past. God says, I don't even remember you doing that. I am God, not man. 
That's the depth and the richness of God's forgiveness that he has for us. When we read that great chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great chapter of love, and Paul says love is patient, love is kind. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, he says, Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Ask your spouse if they can name some of your wrongs. They could probably come up with a couple. God doesn't do that. God is beyond that. God's forgiveness is unmistakable. So one of the principles as we look at these stories is the depth and the greatness of God's grace, God's forgiveness. And so when we come to that question, can I ever go too far? Can I ever do it one too many times? The answer is no. God's grace and forgiveness is there for you. Now there is a caveat to that. And the caveat is that we turn to God. The caveat is that we repent and turn to God. Just like God said in Hosea, they will return to me. And so we can go too far if we never seek God's face, if we never seek his forgiveness. But you see, his grace is always there waiting for us. And it doesn't matter how bad you've been, what things you've done, what thoughts you've had, what words you've spoken. His grace is sufficient for you. That's the second principle. First principle, God's grace is beyond anything we can imagine. Second, it's always there. But there's a third principle, and it's not a good principle. When we look at the Pharisee and the story of this woman, Luke chapter 7, we can become complacent in our forgiveness. We can forget God's forgiveness. We can take it for granted. That's why Paul has to tell the Christians in Romans chapter 6, what shall we say? Can we, can, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. You see, it's possible for us to look at God's grace and say, well, God's going to forgive us anyway. I might as well do it. That's taking God's grace and forgiveness for granted. That's not being thankful for God's grace. That's the third principle. We can be complacent. We can take it for granted. But the final principle I hope that you will take from these stories is that thankfulness and gratitude for God's forgiveness ought to produce change in our lives. When that woman comes and she begins to anoint Jesus' feet with oil and begins to wash his feet and, and dry them with her hair. That's a change in behavior, isn't it? When Paul goes from being a persecutor of Christians to a proclaimer of Christianity, that's a change in behavior. Thankfulness, gratitude, recognizing that, that forgiveness, that grace is there, ought to create a change in our heart and in our behavior. And that gratitude is there. That says, Lord God, I didn't deserve it. You didn't have to give me this grace. You didn't have to give me this forgiveness. There, there's nothing I that you owed me. But you just gave it to me. 
make me want to do things differently. And it did for Paul. I believe it did for this woman. And it ought to do that for us as well. So how are, how are ways, or what are some things that we can do to show our thankfulness? The easiest way is for us on Thursday, as we're eating our turkey and our stuffing, to actually remember what this day is for. A day of thanksgiving. Now we all know the story. Pilgrims come to the United States, not the United States yet, right? But they come to the new world. They are thankful to God for this new place, for the blessings he has given them. That's the thankfulness. That's the day of thanksgiving that the world looks at. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as Christians, we need to take it another step further. And as we are expressing to God our thankfulness for so many things, we ought to thank him for his forgiveness and his grace. But it needs to continue beyond just Thursday. It needs to begin, continue in our daily lives. We ought to carry ourselves with a certain amount of joy and hope. Joy because we know that our sins have been forgiven. Hope because we know that because of that forgiveness, because of that grace, there is a better home that we're going to. We don't have to worry about what's going on in Hollywood. We don't have to worry about what's going on in D.C. We don't have to worry about what's going on next door or down the street because there's a day coming in which we get to go home. And we get to reign with God forever. And all that purity and awesomeness and perfection that is God will now be ours as well. Because he has made us that way. We ought to carry that thankfulness in our treatment of others. Instead of looking at those around us with contempt like the Pharisee looked at the woman, we ought to look at others as Paul did as needing to hear that story of grace and forgiveness and see them as also being God's creation. You see, sometimes it's easy for us when we've lived life kind of like a Pharisee. We've done everything we can to avoid sin, and we've done a pretty good job of it. But sometimes we still blow it. Sometimes it's easy for us to look at those folks that haven't done the things that we've done to protect ourselves from sin, and sometimes we might look at those folks and say, well, that person's too far gone. That person doesn't deserve X, Y, or Z. And we treat them with contempt. We need to not be that person. We need to look at them as, look at them as being God's creation, God's child, God's son, God's daughter. And we need to look for others and share with them the gospel. I also want to encourage us to remember God's grace and forgiveness in dark moments. It would be great to be able to look you in the eye and say, you're never going to face temptation again. It would be great to be able to look you in the eye and say, I'm never going to face temptation again. There's never going to be a moment where Satan really has me at the end of his reel. But the reality is those moments are there. And it's at those moments that I need to remember God's grace and his forgiveness and with thankfulness saying, you know what, God did too much. The blood of Christ to give me grace and forgiveness for me to step in this mess one more time. I'm not going to do it. Let that drive you. Let that memory propel you to avoid that one more time. And then follow God in love.
we express thankfulness and gratitude to him most when we follow him in love in everything we say and do and think. Folks, this week has been a trying week for many uh, as we look about and we hear about one more accusation of disgusting sin. And there's pictures on the internet and there are things on the radio and the TV and all sorts of, of horrible things are being discussed. We know we live in a sinful world. But we also know God's grace is there. It's there for them and it's there for us. And we ought to be thankful that God loved us that much that he was willing to send his son Jesus to die on our behalf so that our sins could be done away with and we could spend an eternity with him. Have you been united with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection through baptism? Have you crucified the of sin with Christ? If you haven't, he's waiting for you to do that so that you can enjoy his grace. If that's what you need to do, if there are other needs that you have that you want the church to be aware of, whatever your need, won't you come? Together we stand and sing.